Welcome to the Bike Life Podcast by Warm Showers Foundation, where we will be sharing knowledge, experience, tools, and stories of touring cyclists and hosts from around the world. I'm Tauber Lee, the woman behind the scenes at Warm Showers Foundation, the leading platform for cyclists looking for hosts and to connect with a passionate international community. Find out more by visiting us at warmshowers.org. Now, on to the show. One of the greatest things I get to experience as the host of this show is meeting people from all over the globe, our our users, our community members, those that are passionate about cycle touring and meeting others and connecting. And today is one of those shows where I get to talk to a very interesting man who has an eclectic background of what he does and where his passion is around touring and He's going to talk to us today about wine, food, friends, roots, and wives. So let's welcome Stu to the show. And wait, before before I, I welcome you, Stu, I want to say, let's call this a fireside chat, because for those of you that are watching the video, you'll see that Stu is sitting by a really nice fire and having his coffee. I'm drinking water, and we're connecting through the internet waves. So really nice to have you, Stu. Emmeline, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, great to uh, see warm showers active, really active, getting active again, um, and and succeeding. So yeah, we're a little fireside chat, talk bikes, and uh, what did I say? Wives. You <laughs> you said wine, food, friends, roots, and wives. <laughs> okay, I don't know the roots, but the wives. I've only had one wife. She's a wonderful person. Uh, for 40 years and uh nancy she's the stoker she's because i am a tandem cyclist at this time in my life my cycling life so i'm riding a tandem bike and the person in the front of the tandem is called the stoker no 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 person in the front yes captain oh captain captain the person in the back of the back of the the the, uh, tandem is called the stoker so my stoker is nancy Mm. And she's a lovely person. I've only had one wife. I don't know why I put wives. Okay. <laughs> Maybe because of the tandem, because you ride with tandem, oh, you ride perhaps. with other groups of tandem. So everybody has wives in the tandem perhaps. or maybe not always wives, but another, a partner to tour with. But when I saw you put out something on the internet that said, hey, are you interested in talking about cycling? I thought I would share my story of tandem cycling specifically um, because I think it's, it's something that people don't even think about when they, t- when they think about cycling. And it's something that's been really valuable for me. And uh, it really all started with my friend who had Parkinson's, a uh, college buddy of mine. He, he had started riding bikes a little later in life. I ma- ran into him in a, at an event. And um, several years later, <clears throat> after we'd been riding for a while, he got Parkinson's. So I thought, you know, if I got a tandem, I saw a tandem for sale at a bike shop, so I bought it. And, um, and I thought maybe he could get on the back of this and ride it. And that way he, he could still continue to ride. So we did that for a while and, um, and then he kind of lost interest. So I hung it in the garage and about eight or 10 years later, Nancy, who, uh, was a, a runner in college and a good athlete and was a cyclist on her own, 
decided she wanted to try it. So I said, okay. So uh, we went for a couple of years. And um, once we realized we liked it, then we bought a real tandem bike. And we've been tandeming now for almost 20 years and have done and gone all over the world. And um, it's just been a great, great thing. And so, um, especially from a retirement standpoint, because you can, you know, a lot of, a lot of people want to, they say they are golf widows where the guy's gone out and play golf or whatever. And then he's gone for hours. This is a, this is an activity that you can do together. And, um, and it has to be together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that. And so you really learn to communicate and it keeps you close together. And then also from a traveling standpoint. So, so yeah. Um, so tell tell us a little bit about the places you've gone um, on your tandem bike. All right, well, we started out and said, okay, look, I said, Nancy, if you want to get serious and ride this, if, if, you, if you really take it up seriously, we'll buy a good tandem and we'll take it over to France and we'll climb Alpe d'Huez. And so she did that and we did that. And on our way to Alpe d'Huez, we stayed at a, uh, which is the big climb in the Tour de France. On the way to, uh, to that, when we landed in France, we were camping and we ran into a group of tandem bike riders. There was about 10 or 15 of them, and they were all camping together. And we got to know them and found out they were the Tandem Club of France. And they instantly took us in. We joined. We've been members now for about 10 years. Um, they have 600 members across France. And every weekend, you know, when you watch these bike races like the Tour de France, you see these little camping cars you know, these little RVs parked mm. along the side of the road. And that's what these guys are into. You know, France has got culture. They've got great wine. They retire early over there. They've got good pensions. And so they spend their retirement uh, in style. And these guys get meet, they'll, they have a magazine that comes out four times a year. So the Tandem Club of France has been really great. And, and we'll meet up and go over there uh, once a year at least. And the ride's completely planned out. All the routes are planned. All the dinners are planned. And uh, it's just, it's been spectacular. We've really had some very close friends. So I assume that's where like the wine, food, and friends comes from. Uh, yeah. Well, points. everyone should be. I mean, I think wine's important. Um, yeah. Not a lot of wine. Wine's important. And of course, friends. So, uh, yeah. Building a social life. When you retire, Staying active is important. Staying connected to your spouse is important. Um, and staying in shape is important. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, we've arrived at this point. And now as we get into our 70s and 80s, I will follow the example of several of my tandem friends in France and add um, power to these bikes. So we can continue to ride as, as cyclists, you know, as we lose power, we want to continue to be able to ride. So turning so, them into, into e-bikes, like adding, right. right. Adding it like some, some power to it. So you can combine your own exercise and do what you can, but also have some assistance so you can continue to ride later. I mean, it's very important. And some people, uh, you know, we all love to ride. And go out on a bicycle ride. What you know, it's just fun, mm-hmm. and and you want to continue to be able to do that. And to do mm-hmm. that, um, you know, you need to generate a certain amount of power. You need to get you know momentum going to get on the bike safely. 
And uh, so what I've done is converted two out of three of our tandems to e-bike tandems, which is just a couple thousand dollars, maybe a motor on the hub or a motor where the cranks are and a battery. And, um, you know, then when, when two people are start off on a tandem, they have to, you know, they have to get a certain amount of momentum. Mm -hmm. And as you get older and your balance may falter just a little bit or your power is down, that becomes a little bit more difficult. But now with a throttle, you can get the bike moving quickly. It's much more, much safer to get started. And then also if you hit some hills, you can add 100 watts to your 100 watts and make it up the hill right. comfortably. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how do you, how do you typically get your tandem bike to France? Um, we have a coupled one, that, you know, these bikes that, that have couplers on them. And it fits in two suitcases, and then we have a suitcase with the with the helmets and the rest of the material. It takes about maybe an hour and a half, two hours to take it apart and pack it in the suitcases, and a couple hours on the, on the other end. But um, then you have your own bike. It's checked just like normal luggage, okay? Because it's sixty two inches around, so the so the airlines accept it, and uh, you don't pay any extra fees. And you have your bike. And, mm -hmm. uh, and if it's an e-bike, then, of course, you can get batteries now all over the world. And um, so that can be done as well. And, um, oh, it's, yeah, it's, been, it's been fabulous. And, you know, the tandem, I guess, community, people are generally older, obviously. They, they, they need, the stoker and the captain need to get along. Yeah. Some of the stokers prefer to be called rear admirals, as you might okay. imagine. So, um, but these are people that have been together a long time. They're also retired. They might have some extra capital. So there are a lot of tour companies set up specifically for tandem bikes. Mm. And one in particular where uh, the guy that ran Santana charters cruise boats. They're kind of pricey, but... Um, you know, there you've got the mechanic and everything done for you. Mm, mm. So, so it's become, uh, it's a small community, but it's, uh, but it's a tight community. So why are they called stokers on the back? I mean, I can get the captain at the front okay, because well, you're it, steering. So tell us the mechanics of how it works. For those that have never experienced a okay. tandem bike, tell us about it. All right. So a tandem bike has two chains normally or a chain and a belt. Uh, the chain on one side goes from the front crank. So you've got two, two people pedaling. Okay, so if this is the person in the front, he's pedaling his bike. There's a chain that goes from his bike back to, the, to a chain ring that's on, this, on the rear, the person sitting on the back of the tandem. And so they go in sync. That's called the synchronization chain. It can be a chain or a belt, usually on the left side of the bicycle. Then... There's another chain from the person on the back to the wheel. And that contains the gears that are shifted, just like a normal bicycle. Then there's a cable that goes up to the captain. He controls what, what chain rings, so what gear they're in. Okay. Yeah. So in the back of the, from the stoker, from the stoker back, it's just like a regular bicycle. There's a chain that goes back to the derailleur, and that's controlled by the captain in the front. And the captain also has the set of brakes on the front. 
So the stoker is providing power, which, you know, it's like stoking a fire when, when they had a, a steam engine. You always had yeah. some these guys in the back stoking. Yeah, so that's the term stoker. In France, they call it, in France, they call it turbo. <laughs> oh, turbo. That's a yeah. good word. <laughs> turbo, yeah. So, Stu, uh, I, I'm a little interested in your, your history, a little bit more about you and what you did prior to retirement and, you know, this, this part of you that's staying active and, you know, focusing on your spouse and doing all these great things. Well, what did you do before that? Um, I invent products to kill bugs in people's homes. And uh, in the pest control industry, uh, I spent about 20 years inventing products for exterminators. So if guy from Orkin comes into your house or Terminex or whoever, uh, he might have a belt with a couple of, of products on it. And uh, those are products that I worked on. Most recently, in the last 20 years, um, I developed a product line called Taro Liquid Ampate. So if you have ants, um, I am America's ant man. So these are ants that come in your kitchen. Okay. And okay. like right now it's starting to warm up mm-hmm. and the ants are going to come out and they're going to come in your kitchen. They come, you know, every couple of years. It's wonderful. And, <laughs> and a lot of people just get out of can of raid and start spraying it around. And it, the problem just continues on. So back in the 80s, I developed a liquid ant bait station because ants really, um, the queen, what you're trying to do is get to the queen. And to get to her, she sends out all the workers to bring back food, water, to take care of the Mm -hmm. eggs that are in the colony. So what we do is we put a small amount of uh, borax in in this liquid ant bait so it's safe to use around kids and pets. And you've probably seen it. It's an orange. It's a little orange container. If you go to mm-hmm. the grocery store or the hardware store, you'll see it. Um, and yeah, and it's just been great. And the really interesting thing about Tarot Liquid Ampate is that it actually works. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of products in the, in the consumer market that are, you know, somewhat efficacious, let's say, the efficacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the pest mm-hmm. control market, efficacy is really, really an issue. And when I started on this tarot liquid ant bait journey, um, I often thought, well, this is, it makes sense. And then as we tested it out in the field, um, yeah, it really did work. And so people get control. It may take a week or so. So anyway, that's what I do. Ants. I help people get rid of ants. I'm still working on it. America's Ant-Man. Uh, funny story, Stu. When I uh, I spent a couple months in Hawaii last year just going there to work and be in solitude, I stayed in a cottage in the middle of a jungle, did all, all of my warm showers work from there, and it was really fantastic. But I learned that when you are in the middle of a jungle and you don't have walls, you just have screens, and you think all the pests are outside, the ants always find their way in, especially in a place like Hawaii. And I'll never forget the first day. <laughs> well, the first day I discovered that I I had left some crumbs outside of like a little piece of cake, but I'd left some crumbs on the counter and I had been actually podcasting. And I think I had a, I think we had a board meeting one of those days and my cottage was actually on the screen behind me. So I was facing the jungle in front of me <laughs> right, right. and you could see somebody made a comment that on the wall behind me, they could see, Oh, I guess you've got some new visitors. And I t- 
turned around and looked while well, there were also like the the little lizards too. But in this case, they saw the line of ants. I'm like, what? And I turned around and looked and they came in through a bathroom. There was a whole line from the bathroom stall through the bathroom wall, up through a part of the ceiling, a little hole in the ceiling, back down around through the kitchen wall, up through the floor and onto the oh, counter yeah. where I left that cake. I was like, how? And it was fast. It was from that morning while I was in a couple of hours of meetings, how fast they found that cake and created a trail all the way back. I was flabbergasted. Ants are amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done cockroaches and fleas and ticks and lice and all that, but ants are just, they're just amazing. Mm-hmm. And the, the structure, the colony, the way it's set up, the way the queen sets up, the whole, the mating flights, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. And what you saw, the line of ants and you know, an ant colony is all female. They're identical female twins. And, and what's interesting is that the older women were sent out to be at the end of that line that was getting the material. That's how efficient ants are because they know they're going to die pretty soon anyway. And so when they have a long line, they'll send the oldest ants out to the end. And then they set really up really interesting. They set up little way stations, kind of like uh, distribution centers like Amazon. So the, some of them will carry back and then somebody else will get it and they'll carry back. It's so cool. Ants are wow. so cool. But when they come in your house, they suck. And so the best thing to do is liquid. <laughs> so always start with liquid bait. It's the safest liquid thing. Liquid bait. They transfer liquid because they can hold more liquid. That's the way they, you know, they, they transfer. All right. Anyway, bikes. Let's talk I bikes. Find, I, I find that super interesting. And thanks for letting me go down that rabbit hole. Because from the moment <laughs> you said it, I'm like, oh, I totally want to know about that. And knowing my experience in Hawaii. And I will tell you just one more thing. After that experience where they came in, I could never, they were always coming back. Always coming right. back. I had right. to like seal everything up. If I even left something in the sink, <laughs> like in the drain, like something not completely removed, they came back. But it was that after that first time, it's like, they know, they know this is a place for food. <laughs> they know this human leaves food out. It's a huge, it's a huge tarot market, actually. Uh, when we initially got this company back in 20 or 1999, I, I was in Hawaii for a pest control show and every store had like all these tarot products that I couldn't even get down the street from where, I, from where we manufactured. I called my, my partner. I'm like, there's more tarot out here in Hawaii. Where so oh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. doesn't surprise me with the yeah. quantity of of insects. I mean, they don't have any snakes there, so that you know, it makes a difference, right? All right. Today's episode is brought to you by BikeFlights.com, the leading bicycle shipping service and bike box supplier for cyclists. You'll enjoy low costs, excellent service, and on-time delivery with every shipment. And you get preferred handling for your high-value bikes, wheels, and gear. As a brand built around a love for the outdoors, they are committed to reducing environmental impact, and every bike flight's shipment is carbon neutral. Join the nearly 1 million cyclists who have used bike flights to ship their bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence since 2009, and see how easy it is to book, manage, and track all of your shipments. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers today for more information and to book your shipment. Now back to the show. Let's talk bikes. Hey, I just want to tell you, let's talk bikes. Let's talk a little bit about warm showers because, you know, I joined warm showers 
back in the day when it was first started up. It was a great idea. We stayed at a couple of places. I also had a couple of really very interesting people drop in from, um, I think it was South Korea. Two guys bought a Walmart bike and were riding it across the country. I mean, it was just amazing. These guys had loaves of bread they were carrying, you know, and and one guy stopped in in a fixie and a couple different things. And then I kind of got out of hosting for a while, and I thought that the organization was just kind of fading a little bit. But now it seems to be getting more active. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about hosting a little bit more, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, all, all nonprofits, I'm sure, as you know, have life cycles, right? From when they are first established, which was you know, in the grassroots area, which is how Warm Showers was established. It actually started on a spreadsheet of names being shared from people that knew each other that wanted to offer their house if their friends were touring. And they built up this database on a spreadsheet of those that were touring. Right. And, and it was, I mean, I, it's really a brilliant thing that took place. And many of them were actually... Um, either systems engineers or coders. And so they started developing an electronic way for this spreadsheet okay. to be shared. And so that's that's kind of the basis of how that's kind of the basis of how the technology started. And then of course, over the iteration as all nonprofits go through, you know, when there's a founder and and then the organization decides to be a nonprofit, then they put governance in place. And it can sometimes be rocky to figure out who's going to sit on the board, who's going to do what roles. And if there's a lot of people that are coming together with like a good cause, a good passion, it doesn't mean that they have experience in how to run a nonprofit. So I think sometimes that in, in my experience, I've been in the nonprofit sector for almost 20 years, working with small organizations to really really large organizations and it is it is common for like this passion that people come together for doesn't necessarily translate to knowing how to run a nonprofit. So I think that you might have, you know, you've probably been around at the time where there were, you know, was rockiness as everything formed. It's almost like just think of the disorganization right. as forming happens. And then the formation came together, you know, the nonprofit was established and, you know, they, they slowly started to learn how to govern themselves. And, you know, they had different people in place in different roles, lots and lots and lots and lots of volunteers, of course. And then my um, predecessor that came in really went from us not having a lot of structure to creating a little bit more structure and moved our website to a, a higher level of management from an outside vendor. So, you know, we've we've gone through these iterations of coders and volunteers creating the website to, you know, one company contractor trying to clean it up and make it an operational to another one to where we are now, which is, and I think I mentioned to you, we're in the process of building a brand new website. So we're trying to, you know, it's time for us to get rid of kind of that old, just sort of a bunch of people contributing to code. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And and, and I'm, I think I'm going to try it out. I think I'm going to try it out again uh, this year. And the big thing people I think are concerned about really when you're when you're using this this database, this platform in a sense, is basically safety. Mm. And if you're the host, you just want it to be something that's easy. If you're if you're out riding, you want to be able to people who can communicate well and, mm-hmm. and you can get and paying a small fee is not an issue, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you're invested in it. You know, we have the, you know, obviously Airbnb, RV Share, all these, all these hip camp, all these different organizations are out there for doing mm-hmm. things like this. 
But I think warm showers, really the brand itself is could be really strong and could be stronger. And I think telling stories of people who stay at places is a good plan. And uh, I can't share much of that on this podcast because we're talking not yet and tandems, but <laughs> yes. maybe. Maybe. Yes, not, maybe one day. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. And you ask good questions because, you know, one of the things in, in your comment about a one-time user fee, I mean, yes, we rolled out a one-time user fee, but we grandfathered in 180,000 users. And, and so it was only for new people that joined because let's face it, technology is expensive. And right. one of the most one of the most common things that I receive via email or on all of our social platforms is how people want our technology to operate better and more efficiently. And okay. we want that well, as well. Let me let, yeah. let me say something on that. Yes. Okay. If if somebody's out there bike touring, you know, and and actually going to stay someplace where where they think they're not going to be charged a lot of money, and they might meet some other cyclists, they've got Strava, they've mm-hmm. got Ride with GPS, they've got Google, they've got cell phones. I mean, they're already invested hundreds of dollars. The bike's worth thousands. You know, I mean, so. So having a fee to pay warm showers so that can be people at warm showers who have a job, who get paid to make sure it works and to, and to field some of these issues, I just don't see it to be an issue at all. And grandfathering 180,000 people, okay, that's fine. But I would have charged them, you know, to kind of clear some of the – because you want – because what's the goal? The goal here is to experience – I don't go for warm showers, but I would say the goal is to um, have a community that experiences a good time on the road and a safe time on the road, and they are more than willing to um, to pay for that service Mm -hmm. um, at different levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting you say that because. Our, 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 when you say the goal is, yes, that's the goal that you say. So our role in that is to provide excellent technology so that can happen for you, right? Or for those that are touring or hosting, you know, we, we, we focus on providing, you know, top-notch technology. So thank you for that. I think, Stu, we should put you in charge of all inquiries that come in. I mean, you have I think I'm, I think I'm like, reti- I think I'm like, I don't need, this is just Stu said. This is my I... advice. See, it's free. <laughs> there's no charge. There's no quality. Yeah, it, yeah, it's all good, right. Stu. That's it's, all I got. It's good. That's all I got. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, thank I, you. I encourage people to think about e-bike conversions as mm-hmm. they age and start when you're in your 60s, so that you, by the time you're 70, 75, you're used to riding with it and understand it. You don't have to buy a bike that already has all the batteries and all the stuff already installed. Uh, in fact, that can be a bad choice because if you buy a bike. A specific e-bike, as soon as you buy it, in a sense, it's a little bit obsolete because the frame's been built for whatever motor. You mm-hmm. don't really have any flexibility. On our tandem, our one tandem, we have a motor on the front wheel. Okay? It's called a hub motor. And we can take that motor off and put a mm-hmm. regular wheel on the, on the tandem and take the battery off, which weighs you know six or seven pounds. And then you're basically back to your regular bicycle again. You just have the controller on the handlebars and a little throttle that's in the way. But so, you know, I encourage people to to really look at converting their current bike to an e-bike 
And there are people online like Johnny Nerd Out and some other converters that they do that in a sense for a living. So uh, for a couple thousand bucks, you can convert any bike to a to an e-bike that's kind of sized for you and, and kind of set up for you. So I encourage people to look in that direction. You know, if you buy a tandem e-bike ready to go from a manufacturer of a, of a tandem, it'll cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of fourteen to twenty thousand dollars. And and you lose versatility. Right. And you lose a little versatility and, and you lose the ability to, I mean, it's a nice bike. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but um, it's just something that uh, I wouldn't suggest for an initial, but I do suggest that people definitely look into that e-bike and don't say, I don't need an e-bike. I've never needed an e-bike. I, I can climb it, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, guess what, pal? You're getting old. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah. And we're all, we're all getting old, Stu. We're all yeah. getting old. And I, I like this. There's so many Stu says comments in this show. It's been it's great. That's, no, that's not good. <laughs> so, uh, my shirt. Yes. You know what this is? I do not. This is the flag of the city of St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. And what we're looking at here is the confluence. The city of St. Louis was obviously founded by the French coming up the river from New Orleans, Choteau and the boys. And so it was French. It was owned by the France. And uh, after the Louisiana Purchase. Anyway, so we have the Fleur de Lis. This mm-hmm. is the confluence. And then once the Missouri and the Mississippi come together at St. Louis, then it's the Mississippi all the way mm-hmm. down. And that's mm-hmm. where we are today. We're on the banks of the Mississippi River. And so this is that flag of the city of St. Louis. It's kind of cool, isn't it? That is very cool. And for those that are listening to this just on the audio version, you need to hop over to YouTube so you can see it in person. Yeah. So come to all St. Right. Louis. We've got great cycling here. Um, about a couple hundred miles of paved trails all through the town that was launched by Edward Jones. And it's just really been a, it's really turned into a bike friendly community. I love it. Stu, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for the the fireside chat. I loved the way that we weaved ants, tandem touring, warm showers, all the things. And Wives. Don't forget wives. (laughs) Wives. Wives. Nancy's going to watch this. I love Nancy. She's awesome. Nancy. Thank you for being such a great stoker. And there for, you go. Yeah, look at me. I'm learning. Yes. Thank you, Stu. We appreciate Hi. you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And for those that are listening, we appreciate you being a part of the show. Make sure you leave us a rating and review wherever you are listening or watching. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe. And we will be back again soon. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Wherever you are listening, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more cyclists and hosts around the world. Visit us at warmshowers.org to become a part of our community or on Instagram at warmshowers underscore org. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit a question, please make sure to email us at podcast at warmshowers.org.